so much chair noise. I was trying to adjust it quietly. You, you hit the thing and then it hit you in the back with a thud. It thudded into you. I was trying to adjust it quietly so not to mess up the beginning part, oh but here God. we are because you brought attention to it, so hi, I'm America. I'm James. We watched The Accountant. We did. It was very good, and now America will tell you about it. Oh, oh, I have to tell them about it? Well, I picked the movie for you to watch because of your extensive background and your abilities and such and so forth. Such and so forth. It, that's a phrase that people used when they run out of words to say. I thought it was such with. I've never heard such with. That's a, com that's a combination of two words right, that shouldn't be. We're not getting in an argument right at the beginning of stream. No, we'll save that for ten minutes from now. <laughs> so, a lot of my um, beginning notes were actually about the cinematography, because um, we open... We really gotta stop watching movies that do this thing where they open in the middle of the fucking movie and then do everything to catch back up to that point in the <laughs> fucking movie. That's my favorite. What? What do you mean? It's it. I the Hangover thing. I feel like the Hangover did it, and everyone was like, "That's really cool." And then everybody did it after that, and it, it's getting it's getting old. <laughs> it's getting real old real fast. Um, but. So we open up on this scene that's like, we don't really see who's in it, and we just are seeing a bunch of dead bodies and um, blood in this, like, apartment building um, and voices. We hear voices. But the first thing that I have is uh, we love a good mirror camera angle. Mm, yes. Um, I, like, I like when... We use shots artistically. I like artistic cinematography. Um, it's not something I pay attention to a lot, but every once in a while, like, a really cool shot will catch my eye. Um, kind of, we talked about it when we did Justice League. The shot in the helmet was just so cool. Um, so we love a good mirror camera angle. My next note was that I'm very confused, because like I said, we started in the middle of this thing with no context. Um... So I have no idea what's going on. I thought I was watching a movie about an accountant. And there's just gunfire and mobs. Yes. So not really what I thought I was walking into. Um, actually, this movie in general was not what I thought I was going to watch. I thought I was going to watch like a King's Speech type-esque movie or like uh, Interesting. The, theory, interesting. the Theory of Everything where I thought it was going to be like this like movie about like this great mastermind accountant and how he did all these really cool things and that's not what this movie is no. <laughs> and then my next note because as we follow this person it's almost like a pov but not really um through this apartment building the last shot we get before uh we get the title card and the roll credits is a shadow shot which is also a really cool um technique that they used and I think that's the last time I talked about the cinematography, and I think I only talked about the cinematography because this is the one point in the movie where I wasn't completely invested in the story, so that's all I paid attention to. <laughs> um, Shout out to me for picking a movie that America got heavily invested in. Oh, I, I kept having to remind myself to take notes because I just kept being, like, engaged in the movie, um, which has not happened to me on this channel yet. I don't think we've watched a single movie. Where you've just been, like, locked in the whole time? Yeah. 
even like Justice League and like things that I did enjoy, I was taking did notes. Did we watch the whole time. Justice League for the show? I thought so. Or I maybe don't, we just, I don't think so. Or maybe we just watched Justice League in general. I think we watched Justice League and we were like, this fucking sucks. Maybe. I remember we talked about it. It on wasn't screen. good. <laughs> anyway. I, I remember it being not good. Um or not Justice League. I'm thinking of Suicide Squad. Oh yeah. Not Justice League. We didn't watch the first Suicide Squad for this channel. No, though. it was the Suicide Squad. Yeah, the new one. Is what we watched. The yeah, that Suicide was like, Squad. That was like a month and a half ago. Yeah. See, okay. I was I in my head I was right. I just was not saying the right words. Um <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's a hot disaster. Anyways It's a hot mess. The next thing that we get to see that's movie-related is we are in a center, a clinic, uh, which is actually, if you don't know, what I do for my job is I do what this clinic does. Is I'm a behavioral therapist, so I work with children with autism, and um, the most of these children scenes were very, uh, at least this first one was very triggering because I see a lot of kids that go through this process and have parents that are like the parents in this movie. Holy shit. That's my first note, was that you got mad immediately. (laughs) Well, because I have a very specific client in my head um, who, his dad is a military dad, and, like, it was like they took this kid's life story and put it in this movie because they thought that originally they thought this family thought that their child didn't actually have autism. They thought he was just stressed out because they moved. And this family moves a lot in the movie. And, like, they just want a cure. They don't want to treat the symptoms. They just want to... Or they don't want to... They want to treat the symptoms and cure him. They don't want to, like, treat him as a human being or, I like... It's like a sickness that can be cured rather yeah. than something that is just going to be there... Forever. And the thing about behavioral therapy is we're teaching them how they can function with their, um, with being a person with autism. We're teaching them how they can function. And ABA is, was very controversial, but we're moving away from that thing and learning about how we can teach them to be themselves and be accepted so like it's and we're moving away from like the forcing them to be quote-unquote normal or neurotypical and we're moving towards like oh how can we make them have an easier life which is huge um but yeah i was very triggered by the parents because we open up and they're like that they they say all those things i basically just said like oh we move a lot, so maybe it's just a move, or this isn't normal, this isn't what, like, we can't just go on existing, like, he gets upset every time there's a loud noise, or anything like that. Um, what I do think the movie did very well was portraying autism. They did use a lot of the actual verbiage that we use, like stimming, and all those things, which can sound very jarring to parents when they're hearing it, but, like, everybody stims you bounce your leg you're stimming if you chew your nails you, you're stimming if you scratch your scalp you're stimming it's a thing that people do to either focus or bring down their anxiety or things like that so stimming is not stimming is very normal but when you put a label on it and you tell parents that it's very jarring to them because they don't view it as normal because generally people with autism 
have larger stimming things that are considered disruptive. Um, like they might sing or scream or rock back and forth or do things that are more quote unquote abnormal. Um, and which is what they were complaining about. They were also complaining about his challenging behavior. Um, but I think the biggest thing that set me off about these parents, and again, it's something that does hit close to home because this client that I was talking about, I'm particularly close with, and it's mainly because of their parents. And when we call it, when you call your child a problem, I now have a problem with you. Case point and full stop. No child is ever a problem. It's kind of like, no, aside from demon possession, because like that does happen. Um, but like, it's like a dog. There, are, no one is born inherently bad. They are a product of circumstance and of nature and of nurture. So no one's just born out of the gate evil. They are taught to be that way. Full stop, the end. Every serial killer, everything you hear, there's generally a starting point. Does that make them right or wrong? No. But the child is never the problem. Full stop. Um, I also wrote that these parents are what's wrong with the autism community because, like I said, ABA is moving more towards the like loving the person as they are and teaching them how to be more comfortable with that and how to exist more comfortably for themselves and for others mm. um, and not correcting them to make them quote unquote normal. Like something that we used to do is force kids to make eye contact. We don't do that anymore. Cause who are we, who are we for? Like, who's that for? Is it for them or for us? Does it really matter if someone makes eye contact with you when they're talking? Not really. I don't like making eye contact with people. And I am not someone with autism. I'm, on a, I'm not neurotypical, so I'm neurodivergent. I, have, I am diagnosed, gifted, and talented. But that was a comment that came up recently. Like, are we teaching them? Why are we teaching them to make eye contact? Is that for them or for us? Does it actually benefit them? Or is it just something that we want them to do because it's quote-unquote normal? Um, but that's what's wrong with the parents in this movie, and that's a lot of parents in the autism community, is they sit there and they go, oh, well, this is the fix for that. We need to stop fixing people and start just learning how to accept people and accept that not everybody is the same. Um... So we jump from this whole spiel about them, like, trying to get this child into this autism center and them being upset and blah, 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 to uh, this same child who we see um, trying to complete a puzzle in the center while his parents are talking to the director. And he gets very upset because he can't finish the puzzle. It's a very common thing, um, especially like when it's a hyper-focused task or it's something that they use to like calm themselves like solving puzzles. If there's a piece missing, I've had several kids who will start flipping their absolute shit because there's a missing puzzle piece. Like their brain cannot comprehend the fact that the puzzle is not okay. 
Like, most people would be like, oh, darn, there's a piece missing. For them, it's like the end of the world because there's a piece missing. So that was a just a really good portrayal. Um, his script of the Solomon Gundy was all very good. Like, everything that that was portrayed in that scene is very accurate to what I see on a day-to-day basis. Um, but we jump from this child solving the puzzle to him as an adult, and he's now an accountant. Um, and he's talking to this couple, and they're upset because they can't afford to pay their taxes. And she's like, what if we put the taxes on the credit card this year? And I was like, I mean, James just looked at each other and chuckled because we're like, not well, us oops. putting our taxes on our credit card this year. Um, <laughs> I also wish I had him as an accountant because the loopholes he, he like, was finding for invented them. Invented a way to get tax write-offs for them. Holy shit. And I was just like, can you, can you do that for me? Well, that's what our last CPA did for us. Yeah, I know, but we don't... I'm not convinced she's alive anymore. Uh, yeah. COVID, baby. Uh, yeah, she was older and a smoker and got COVID, and then we didn't hear from her again, so... Awkward. Anyways. Um, anyways. Uh, then I had a question that doesn't really pertain to anything in the movie. Um, okay. I really want to know how you say cum laude. Because, like, I feel like everyone just kind of makes it up, and I want to know what the actual pronunciation is, and is it Latin? Okay, I'm looking, I'm looking. Google, Google, Google. Because people not knowing how to pronounce languages really pisses me off, so I want to make sure that I'm saying it correctly, mainly. Um, I also want to know if it's Latin. Because I was going to say it's Latin, but then I remember I don't think it is. Um... So he gets the couple a bunch of write-off on their taxes through some mathematical witchcraft. Cum laude. Okay. So they said it wrong. Um, but we jump from that. He gets them all these write-offs. They leave. They say, you're welcome to come to our farm anytime you want. It is Latin. Shoot. I'm so smart. Um, <laughs> and so they... Uh, that scene ends, we jump to another scene in this very fancy office where J.K. Simmons awaits. Yeah, I thought this chick was coming in for a job interview. Kind of. I'm, I I thought that's what she was there for, and then I got really confused as we went through the scene. Um, but he's basically interviewing her and asking her a bunch of questions. And... In the middle of that, he goes, oh, yes, detention center, robbery, uh, attempted murder, murder, attempted murder, all this stuff. And I was like, damn, their background checks be thorough. But then I found out it was the government like two seconds later. And I was like, never mind. <laughs> they just know these things. Um, And then she was like, those records were supposed to be sealed after he talks to her about her like past and stuff. And I was like, can you seal records of criminal history? Can you do that? I thought you... I feel like that's not allowed. But I don't know. I guess, like, maybe if you go into witness protection or something, but... I don't know. It was a random question that popped in my head. Um... And he shows this woman a pic- bunch of pictures of this man, who we never really get to see his face in the photos, but we know is the accountant that we just met in the previous scene. And he's done books for drug dealers, drug cartels, uh, mobs, any bad sort of group 
you name it, he's done the accounting for them. Books, baby. So I was like, so he does books for anyone. And yes, pretty much he'll do anything for anyone that is willing to pay him. Um, and it doesn't have to be in money. Certainly not in money. And so he tells her... J.K. Simmons tells this gal. Yeah, Medina. Her name is Medina. Yep. I don't remember. Oh, and Don. Don tells Medina. That's Raymond. His name is Raymond King. Oh, you're right. Ray King. I, okay. Yeah. Raymond King tells uh, Medina that she has one month to track um, the accountant down. And if he doesn't, or if she doesn't, then he's going to release her criminal record. And she'll be arrested for eternity. Mm-hmm. You know, like classic employer blackmail. It's my favorite or kind of Or at the very least, she'll be fired. Because oh, I think definitely. she already did the time for the crime. Um. Probably. Well, that's what he said. He, like, listed off how long she'd been in there and stuff. And my only question about that was, she has one month to track someone down they've been trying to locate for, he said, like, five years. That seems wildly unfair to me. Um, sure, she is the best. She's the best analyst they have. I don't give a fuck. You've been trying to locate him for five fucking years, and you're like, you give someone one month? The real question here is, how have you not had your best analyst on this for months already? If she's already busting all these cases wide open with her incredible pattern recognition, how are you not employing her on this particular case well before this one-month deadline pops up? Because he doesn't want to actually get him caught. It's a test. Right. We find that out later. But... He's really, the, he's really testing her to become his replacement. Um, and then we get a, I don't want to say like a montage, but like a slew of clips of the accountant um, living his adult life and just like little it's tidbits a, yeah. of his um, diagnoses and the things that come along with that. It's a normal... It, it, in a lot of movies, they do those, like, normal day sequences. Like, one movie that comes to mind is um, the one Jim Carrey movie where he lives in the dome. Oh, uh, uh, the Truman Show. Yeah, the Truman Show. We basically get two minutes of film in the Truman Show where Jim Carrey just goes about daily life. I was also thinking character. about Free Guy. Free Guy does yeah, that. Yeah, just like that. And uh, this movie, it's exactly the same you get just a little segment in the film where you get to watch him do his day yeah as a nine to five accountant guy um so we see that he's basically he he has one plate he has one set of utensils um which again is not abnormal um and then he like separates his food on the plate i also do not like my food touching again i'm not neurotypical i'm also neurodivergent so some of these things do translate because Really, it's all a spectrum. I just happen to be on a different end of it than this particular individual. Um, but I do have a question for all my neurodivergent people out there. You can answer this too if you if it applies to you, James, because you are also not neurotypical. Right. Um, what is your specific utensil and why? So, like, for me... I like tiny utensils. So like the tiny forks, the tiny spoons. Those are my thing. Like I will constantly always go for the smaller option when presented. Don't know why. That's just my particular thing. 
Um, I don't. I don't have one. I don't know what. I, I guess it's not something that's really my purview is to choose a specific utensil, whether consciously or subconsciously, that I prefer or use all the time. I really will just go for whatever that's the easiest available. Because, like, for him, he has his, like, one set of silverware. Yeah. And I didn't know this was a thing, actually, until TikTok. And someone put on there, they're like, neurodivergent people, answer me this. Why is it always the tiny spoon? And I was like... You, you just felt called out by that. I did. I was like, why is it the tiny spoon? I don't, I don't, I don't know why it's the tiny spoon, but it has to be the tiny spoon. Like if I'm given the, if I'm get again, if I'm given the choice, like I'm not going to, I'm not to the point that I'm like going to throw an all out fit if the spoon is too big. Like that's not sure. my particular symptom, but if I'm given the option, I'm always going to go for the smallest utensil and I don't know why. So I just wanted to know, shout out to my neurodivergent people out there. What is your specific utensil and why? Or your utensil tick? What is your thing? No idea. I don't have one. Um, we then uh, see that he is trying to desensitize himself or overstimulate himself um, by blasting loud music, flashing lights, which we were told in the scene in the clinic are like really triggering to him. I'm not sure if he's doing it to drown out something in his head, like if he's purposely trying to overstimulate or if he's trying to desensitize himself to those particular triggers. Not really sure because he sets a timer for it. So it could be this particular time to like, he's trying to trigger himself for some reason or he's trying to desensitize himself to those triggers. He does it a couple times and I couldn't really get a real feel for what he was trying to do with it's, it. It's training. That's what I was thinking. So the other thing he's doing is he takes this rod. This it's It would typically be bamboo, but he's grinding it against his shins, his bare shins, uh, which is a thing that Muay Thai fighters do. Oh, okay. uh, is they'll You also see him later in a scene when he's more upset, beat his shin with the rod. But it's a way to sort of like create calluses on the front of your shin so that when you kick someone instead of kicking them with your foot you kick them with your shin which is a sturdier bone there's less bones to break uh and it, it's sort of a protective shield over your shin it also helps when you check a kick if someone kicks at you you can throw your shin up to block the kick to stop it from sweeping you or whatever in your fight and it won't break your bone in theory it's not always perfect like that. But I had a note. That is a thing. It, it's a training thing. I had a friend who was a fighter. He would do that. And it occurs to me that if he's doing all the things that would typically trigger his uh, sensory overload, uh, and then he's got it on the timer, it just strikes me that that would be absolutely something he is just training for. And the way his dad ran his life as a kid, it it's it just looks to me like it's like a workout for him. That's kind of what I was thinking. Um, the only reason I didn't was that second scene that you were talking about where he was using the wood. I, A, didn't know that was a, like, training technique that people use. Yeah. Because to me... what conditioning. It, to me, what it looked like, especially with how aggressively he was going at it, that he was starting to bleed, um, it looked more like what we refer to as SIB behavior, um, which is a bit redundant because it's... SIB is considered self-injury behavior. Um, where if you get, like, super overstimulated or super upset, um, you, like, will hit yourself mm -hmm. or, like, like, pinch yourself, claw at your arm, scratch. 
whatever you can do um, to basically like it's just another behavior it's no different than like peer aggression or aggression in general or property destruction um which is the note i was trying to get to uh but that's one of the things so when he was getting too aggressive with it that's what i was viewing in my head was it more it was more like a self-injurious behavior mm -hmm. um i didn't know it was a fighting technique so i learned something new yeah um i know things <laughs> but all this to be said that he goes into a flashback in the middle of this training, um, or at least we're getting another view of his childhood. Maybe it wasn't like a flashback, but um, where he is having, again, I'm using phrases here that we use in my job, which is he's having a, he's having challenging behavior. Um, his challenging behaviors include property destruction, um, aggression and i still think he does have some self-injury behavior um or some sib but property destruction is one of my least favorite challenging behaviors to deal with because you don't the thing with challenging behaviors you never want to bring attention to it because that's just going to encourage them to do the behavior more so you want to ignore it but when it's things like self-injury or aggression or property destruction it's really hard to just ignore those or to block them because you're because then you have to bring attention to it like if they're destroying things you can't just let them destroy things yeah you gotta put a stop to it if so um so property destruction is really hard because it's like a they're probably throwing objects at you and their intent is to break them and like the most you can do is like try to redirect them from the situation or get them to a safe spot. And sometimes you just gotta let shit break and that's hard. Um, but seeing like, that was another thing that I see all the time um, at work is, there's one particular client who that is, one of their behaviors is to just break just shit. Wreck shit. And, uh, the result of it breaking is reinforcing enough for them to keep doing it. So it doesn't really matter if we ignore it or block it or anything, because just seeing it break is enough reinforcement. So it's a really hard one to go through, um, especially when it's your own items. It's a little different for me because, like, I'm at work. I don't own anything there. Um, but if so, your kid kicks a hole in your wall. Or uh, it's problematic. Chuck's glass or anything, it's problematic it's problematic um everything the dad did in this scene was correct which really this this shit threw me off because i from the start of the movie you expect the well okay so the scenario is is that the mom is leaving yes that's she's what's triggering the challenging behavior she's leaving beyond leaving just from the house she's like leaving the family like this is a forever goodbye type thing uh and so she's outside argument with the dad whatever challenging behavior is going on inside homeboy's brother is staring out the window watching this all go down uh observing his brother lose it and the uh the destruction gets so loud that it can be heard outside dad 
Hatch is the, uh, between the two parents, sort of the hero of the two, which you don't expect because in the first scene with the parents, he's the one who's so insistent on... He needs just, to learn to accept. Yeah, just making his kid be okay. Yeah. He's kind of the one who's Normal. leaning heavily into that, which is not correct. And then in the following parenting scene, which is this one, he's the one leading the charge to address the issue immediately with his kid and the mom's leaving. So that that always has surprised me in that he would be the parent who is making the effort to work with the kid rather than the parent who's like, I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. See, for me, it was not that shocking. Um, again, mainly because I'm in this environment. And when it comes to those large challenging behaviors, um, the one who generally deals with it in the household is the dad. Because mm. they're stronger, they're bigger. They can do those. The restraining. Action. The restraining and stuff. So, And they can take more hits just scientifically. I'm not saying that women are weak. I'm just saying that this is generally what I see. Um... But yeah, the dad did everything correct in the scene when he came in. He restrained him. Um, not in a way that was hurting him, but in a way that was keeping his body safe and the so child safe. Him up. It wasn't like a particularly great hold. It's not something I would use. Um, but it was good enough to get the job done of like the child couldn't hurt themselves or others. Um, and then he started to do a self-soothing exercise with the child. Um, we do these at work, too. Sometimes we tell them to blow out candles, and they have to, like, take deep breaths and blow out your fingers like they're candles. Um, oh, that's cool. Very one, clever. One of the ones they uh, do in this one is they had him recite the Solomon Grundy. Nursery rhyme. Which is a script of his. Um, like script is just something that you repeat over and over and over um, that you've heard from something else. Uh and that brought him down, which was huge. I really liked everything that Dad did there. Um, and then I made a note about the whole desensitizing thing. Um, well, it's good for training. It's not necessarily the best for your brain. Um, we've come to find out, like, because basically you're just forcing the brain to experience trauma. And what happens when your brain experiences trauma, it changes chemically in here. And so doing exposure therapy or desensitizing therapy can work, but it can also be even more harmful than just working through the underlying problems that cause you to be heightened to those situations. It's like treating headaches with cocaine. Yes. Sure, it might get rid of your headache, but you also might become a coked out addict. Um, something that fascinated me, because now we're going to jump to another scene where he is shooting at the farm, which he was given the offer to do because he fixed those people's taxes. Yeah. Um, as someone who has sensory issues, I'm fascinated that he enjoys shooting. Um, and I know it's because of all the training he went through with his dad and stuff, but it's just very fascinating that someone who doesn't like loud noises is comfortable, and maybe it's because of the training he's been doing, but he's comfortable being close to loud noises. But I've also noticed that it's different when you're in control of the loud noise. Um, like he is with his speaker or he is with his atrocity of a rifle. 
So it's it's easier. Barrett 50 cal, biggest anti-material weapon we have. It's something that we employ a lot in uh, ABA therapy um, or behavioral therapy is giving the client control of the situation. So like someone who is, has issues with schedules or routine and like they, they can't stand it when their schedule or routine is thrown off, like we can help them make visual schedules so that they can like see what's coming even if it's different on day by day just by seeing what's coming in the schedule that day can like juice their brain it's the same thing of like they're in control of that particular part you are in control of your destiny and when they're in control they're not as overwhelmed or as scared um helpful technique same thing with someone who can't make decisions instead of having them choose from like five choices we go well you can either do this or this you're still giving them control with while taking away the the stressors Mm. um i also love that he took them up on their offer to go to the farm yeah i don't know that just made me really happy and sweet like uh we then get to see more of like his existence on his day-to-day life like i feel like the first 30 minutes of this movie is just like broadening our scope of understanding who he is as a person and, and you do it without fucking exposition. Here, yeah. Here's an interesting thing about this movie, and I think it's something that... Sorry, I want to talk for a minute. Go for it. I think it's something that filmmakers don't do enough because they're so invested in story and script. If you can show me what a character is about without telling me what the character is about, but still give me the same information, I would rather see it. Show me how this character behaves. Show me all the things that he does with his day. Answer all of your character questions with visuals, and you will have done a better job and wasted less time in your movie than if you are insistent on having someone talk about it. And you could go and fucking watch any other spy movie of sorts where someone knows the main spy character, right? And so, it, like, say it's some generic bounty hunter or whatever, and someone's heard of him, he's got a reputation or whatever, and your antagonist is looking for him, they go to the local bar or whatever to hear about it, and so the bartender just exposition dumps this bounty hunter's reputation out on the table. That's boring, and it's overdone, and bleh. It's like, I don't know, it feels... It feels like because we've done it so many times, it's useless, but the refreshing ability to show me what a character is about with just showing me what he's about is so cool. It it keeps your audience engaged rather than they just like, oh, I can look at my phone while I listen to what the character is about. I can split my attention. I don't hear what this character is about. I have to look to see. I have to see what's happening in order to understand this character. That's a better use of your time in your movie. Filmmakers take note. I'm smarter than all of your producers. Um. <laughs> Alrighty then. It's a fucking bold claim. What we were shown <laughs> next about uh, our lovely accountant man um, is that he's got a freaking bunker. It's not really a bunker. It's a storage shed. But in the storage shed is a van. And the van is like his bunker. Um, it's very organized, very neat. very. It's a camper. Sorry, his trailer. It's actually a trailer. All right, all right. He has a trailer with all of his stuff in it that, like, is his actual spy shit. So, like, multiple 
passports, credit cards. A shitload of cash. Etc. Etc. Um some expensive art. Also in there he has like a, a closet. Guns. Okay. Sorry. He has a closet, um, and on the closet he has a little tiny mirror and he has a list of or a piece of paper with all the different like emotional faces on them. They're just like little smile like happy faces. Um, but like happy, sad, angry, um, and identifying emotions is so hard for uh people with autism. I think I skipped something. No, I didn't. Um, cause then I, James brought attention to that. And then, sorry, I'm getting lost in my own notes. Okay. I'm just going to keep talking about the piece of paper. Um, also what a lot of people with autism will do, um, or people with a lot of mental illnesses is they'll go in the mirror and they'll practice making facial expressions cause it doesn't come naturally to them. So they'll just stand in the mirror and they'll. Like, I have one client who will purposely, like, when they're actually upset, they don't actually cry. Like, there's no tears. It's just a lot of loud noises. But then when they're, like, faking or what we call masking, they'll sit there and they'll, like, make the saddest face you've ever seen. And, like, tears will shed. Like, it's like a drama-winning performance. Um, but that's just something that's also a good representation of people with autism. Um, so then I feel like, and I need James to correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Uh, the next scene is him in the jail with the dude. Is that next? Yeah, it's a, I believe we get a, we get a flashback. Let me pull up a plot summary here, but we get, we get this flashback. I really should do this for every movie. Uh, we get a flashback here, somewhere in the mix here. Uh, that sort of gives us a rundown as to how he learned how to cook the books of criminals from a, a guy in jail who used to cook the books for criminals. So, it, I mean, you're learning from the best of the best, right? He's also teaching him, like, important life skills of, like, um, how to identify patterns in speech, how to identify emotions on people's face. Um, and in their words, which is all really important skills that we actually teach uh, our kids every day. Like, they're like, we'll show them a picture and we'll be like, how are they feeling? And they'll have to answer, like, happy, sad. We also skip the scene of the uh, the assassin getting in the car with the That's guy next. in Zurich. Okay. That's what I was wondering is because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going out of order. Yeah, we are out of order, but that's fine. Okay. Um... The next thing we get, according to my notes, is when he meets Anna Kendrick, right? No. Jesus. No. Uh, oh, no. This is gets, oh, gets... this is when he's getting the job offer. So he goes, um, he gets this offer from Life Robotics, and he goes into this meeting, and this is why I had this note, um, is because one thing that we talked about already is eye contact is really difficult for people with autism or individuals with autism is because they like can't look at people. Um, that's the one note that I didn't like about this movie is it wasn't like every once in a while he'd like dart attention. But when I think of it and when I see it more, 
Because, like, he would do this. He'd basically look at you in the eyes, and then he'd look over here for a little bit, and then he'd look at them in the eyes, and then he'd look over here for a little bit. When I see it, it's, like, it's more um, attributed to Newt's commander and Eddie Redmayne. It'll be, like, this kind of, like... Uh, out of the side of your eyes? Out of the side of your eyes are not even, like, looking at you, so it's, like... Like, you'll be, like, calling their name, and they're listening, but they're looking over here, or they're looking through you, so they're not looking directly at you, but it's very, more of what I see is a kind of, like, side eye, or, like, really not wanting to look at you, but, like, trying to force themselves to. So I have a question for you. Then. Yes. Because we get to see Christian as a young kid a mm -hmm. lot of the time, and I think you, you praise this kid's performance. Kid did an excellent uh, job. And I, when you bring it up, you, you might notice that the kid does a lot more looking away. He spends a lot more of his time net craned, like, looking in any direction that there aren't people at, in every scene that he's in, which I think is good direction. Would you then consider the idea that perhaps having grown up and forced himself into multiple situations where you interact with people, he could have learn to tolerate looking directly at people more so maybe not to a perfect extent but perhaps more frequently than he had as a kid do you think is that like a learned skill because it's something yes. i don't know is that yes, like a learned skill can, he could have learned yes because like i said up until like within the last year or so that was something that was very common in aba therapy is to like basically like we would take a kid's eyes and say they're not looking at us and like call your name I'm like james uh-huh. James. 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 Uh-huh. Like, that is something we do where we force their eyes to look at us. Yeah. Um, Physically as possible. Like, I mean, you can't physically make someone's yeah, just eyes. just grab them by the eyeballs. Because um, even sometimes when you're doing that, they'll do this thing where they're like, yeah, they're not looking at you, but you're doing as much as you can to make them look at you. Right. So say all that again, but into the mic this time. <laughs> well, if you were pulled forward, I wouldn't have to turn that far away from the mic. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's kind of the idea. So yes, it could be a learned behavior that he got. I just, okay. I, the only reason I bring it up is I don't, I don't want to challenge your expertise on the subject, but I do think that they, at the very least, they thought of almost everything, if not everything. And I know he looks at people a lot more in this movie than I expected him to, but the more, you know, I talk to you about your job and the more I learn about this stuff, the more I think... Well, if that could be a learned skill as you grow older and interact with more people and sort of, you know, come into your own mind of trying to force yourself to do the things that make you uncomfortable in order to survive in the world. Like he could totally have just learned to do that more. It's possible. Um, I didn't see it as much as that with the kid as I would have liked to, but I also didn't get many scenes with the kid. Either. Sure. Sure. Um, Man, we haven't even gotten... You said these were going to be short episodes. I went on a tangent. I told you I'd fill space with my knowledge. Um, then we get a cut to this guy breaking into this car. Um, kind of. Well, I mean, he's not... He didn't really break in. Like, he he was... He, he got in the passenger seat of an unlocked car. Yeah. Um, while this other guy's in the driver's seat. And it was... What was really hard for me about this scene is it was such a drastic cut to other, like, things happening that didn't really pertain to what was going on in the plot, yet 
I do correct myself later, but it was so jarring to me in that moment that, like, my brain literally didn't pay attention to a single fucking thing that happened in that scene. Like, I didn't remember dialogue. Like, I was sitting there trying to focus, and it was just, (laughs) it was such a jarring change from everything else that I, like, I can remember the rest of the movie pretty well, and that's why you were like, we haven't gotten to the car scene. I was like, I have a note about it. So I know where it is, but it was so jarring to me that literally no information was pertained or was retained in my brain from that scene. And all I said at the end of it was like, uh, bring back the accountant. Like, I was like, I don't care. Bring back, bring back the accountant. I cared about that stuff. Right. Um, and then we get to the scene where he has now accepted the job offer. He asked them to bring him the books for 15 years. He shows up to his first day of work at this company, um, Life Robotics. And I just had a funny little note here because he gets into the room and he sees um, Anna Kendrick or Dana asleep on the table and he just goes and like takes a breath and the caption said exhale, but he definitely inhaled and it was just a funny haha moment to me. It was a fun- it was pretty funny. It sounds strongly like an inhale, but that's a minor blurb. It was it was just a silly thing. Sometimes I like to catch silly things in movies. Um, in case you are new here, and you then, also we also missed the a scene that I wrote a note about. If my plot synopsis is to be believed, the scene where he meets the CEO of the company happens before um, his first day of work. Yeah, I didn't really have any notes about that. Well, it's it's a cinematography note that I actually mentioned out loud. Oh, I didn't uh, hear you. Sorry. Where the we get to see. Christian's looking through this window at these, like, people who have had limbs amputated or potentially lost them in war or whatever, um, getting these really high-tech, high-scale limb replacements, basically, that are robots. Um, And he's standing there, and there's, like, a big poster behind him, and then John Lithgow walks up, who's playing the CEO of this company, Living Robotics, and... uh, there's a parallel that happens in the shot where the poster is like a mimicry of the, uh, you know, that, that painting where God reaches down from above with his finger and like touches, Michelangelo yeah, touches fingertips with man. So it's, it's sort of like a mock-up of that, except for it's a robot hand on one side of the poster and it's a human hand on the other side. I don't know the name of it. Fuck. I fucking sucked at art history. The creation of life. I believe it's called so good at art. Fucking failed art history. Um, I don't know if I'm right. Anyways, our hero, Christian Wolf, is standing in front of the robot hand, and then John Lithgow's character is standing in front of the human hand, which is sort of like a, uh, I, I think of it as like a sort of jab at people who consider savants or neurodivergent people to be more robotic and less human, often considering them to be less than they are themselves. Uh, as we would look down as, on robots as not humans, right? I was close. It's the creation of Adam. Ah. Which creation is also the creation of... Anyway. Anyways, it, I, I looked at it as like a cool parallel like that. It could have just been a cool set design shot, but I think it was more than that, and I think it was done intentionally because almost everything in this movie was done with strict intention. So that's just a cool thing that I saw in the cinematography. Uh... That he meets the CEO, and then we catch up to first day of work. Dana Cummings, who is Anna Kendrick, is in the, uh, what is it, a conference room? Yeah. Uh, 
passed out on the table. There's stacks and stacks and stacks of file boxes all around the room. And go. Um, Anna Kendrick! I got really excited. I didn't know she was in this movie. And it's all, Anna Kendrick's one of my favorite actresses, so to see her pop up unexpectedly was fun. Um, and then he basically, like, they, she tries to talk to him, tries to engage with him, all this stuff, and he basically more or less shoes her out of the room. <laughs> um, and then he uh, blows on his fingers, which is a nice reference to the ticks that we saw that he has in the beginning. He stims that way a couple times in the movie. Um, that might not be a stim so much as a behavioral pattern. Like, it's like something, it's more like a compulsivity, like he has to do. He he does it, if you notice when he does it, he does it before he starts a task. Yep. So that's not like a stim. That's not the Is same not, thing. Oh, I guess a stim would be more reactive, wouldn't it? It's more automatic. Stimming's automatic. So it's like things that you're not even like um, paying attention to. For example, if you'll notice when we do podcasts, I play with my hair a lot. That's a stim. This is a stim. I'm not really, like, doing it on purpose. I'm just doing it. Like, I have sure. to do it. Um, the compul- This is, like, when you do something, the same thing before you do a task that's more of a compulsive behavior. Okay. Um, or uh, a perseveration behavior. Um, like, I have a client that when he comes to a door, he'll go... He pushes on the mm-hmm. door jam thing three times, and it's 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 a compulsivity. Like he like he sees it and he has to do it. Hmm. Um, it's more compulsive behavior. So the thing is more like a compulsive thing where he like he has to blow on his fingers yeah he has he to blow on his fingers before he starts the thing. So it was a nice reference. Um, You're right. It can't be a stim thing because he does it late in the movie in a fighting scene while wearing gloves Mm -hmm. so he wouldn't have felt it on his fingertips yeah it's 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 a complete compulsive action of like somehow he learned that that was what you did before you start tasks and now he has to do it before he starts a task sure um uh like another common thing that you'll see people do is say like the same phrase before they start tasks like alrighty or something like that that's a compulsive behavior that's not a stim sure um he does a lot of work. He gets to it, like, right away. And then he goes on lunch. And all I could think about during this entire scene where he is trying to have lunch, like, he purposely tried to find a place where nobody was, sat by himself, and someone, like, it was Dana, but, like, she came up and started chatting his ear off trying to get to know him, and I was like, this dude is me on my lunch break. <laughs> I... Something that I'm very common doing, too, is, like, my break time is my break time. I don't want to be around people. I'm not an extroverted person. I'm an ambivert. So it just depends on where I get my energy from during the day. But most days, especially when I've been stimulated at all day, I just need to go zhoosh and be quiet and not talk to people. Um, So that's me on my lunch break. I try to find the most isolated spot. And then every once in a while, someone comes and finds my isolated spot and they want to... They want to do the chit and chat and jibber jabber in, and I just literally like I'm like this dude. I'm like, uh huh, oh yeah, mm-hmm, yep. Like trying to talk as little as possible, hoping that they would go away, but you can't tell them to go away because that's rude. <laughs> yeah. So like I I just felt all of that in my body. I was like, oh, just stop talking to me. I don't I don't want to talk. I just want to eat my lunch. Um. Something in the middle of their conversation, I don't know exactly what her phrase was. Oh, she said that 
her college was where fun went to die. Which is a quote for, it's an unofficial motto for the school. Really? Yeah. That's funny. I learned that from the uh, IMDb trivia. Um, Which is like an expressionary statement, right? It's not something that's like 100% true, but not understanding like figures of speech or expressionary statements is something that's very common with people with autism as well. Because they take things very literally. So like when he was like, well, why? And she's like, huh? And he's like, why Why is that where fun goes to die? And she's like, oh, no, it's a expression. And then he turns it around and says, I'm joking. Um, which is another very common thing that people with autism learn to do is they have like a phrase to cover up their behavior or um, their quote unquote symptoms or their tics. So he was like, Having a pre-built excuse built in is something very common. So he just said, I'm joking, because he realized he had messed up in that social interaction. He oopsied the social interaction. Another one that I see um, or that I know about is I have, I don't have, but I've heard about a client that somebody else had where he like, he'll get really emotional and he'll just start to cry. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. And sometimes it just happens randomly. And so his thing that, like, he came up with to say was, I'm not sad. I just have allergies. Oh. And so he, like. That's a heartbreaker right there. Jesus Christ. So he would get really upset and he'd start having tears. But, like, he doesn't do, like, the vocal crying. So it would just look like tears. So he would just go, I'm not upset. I just have allergies. And like Even if he was upset. Oh. So, so that way, it's just a way for them to, like, cover up for the fact that they're, like, they realize that they're not being, like quote-unquote normal or socially acceptable so they have to like it's a cover-up for being different yeah they try to make themselves fit in by doing that so that was just another again i'm gonna give really props to where this movie does things well um and that's another common thing is you have a built-in excuse for the way you are um then we cut to medina who is and this will probably be my last note um, who is trying to track down the accountant. And she got this guy to do some face recognition and all this stuff. And he um, he's like, I found him. He's in this uh, like CCTV footage from this year doing this thing. And we see that it's the scene that we saw in the beginning um, of this guy like beating up these dudes. And then he, he murders them. Yes, he does murder. He unalives them um, and like all this stuff. And so she watches it a few times and then she like she hears something and she's like, get me that audio clip. They get her the audio clip. She's at home listening to it on like fucking repeat, different volumes, changing voices to it. And then somehow through some witchcraft bullshit nonsense, she hears something. So she amplifies it like Splices the audio, like pulls it up, all this stuff. And then she hears, and I, we are listening to this audio with her over and over again. And I can tell you 100% of the time, I never hear what she hears, even on the loudest volume, until she like does all this witchcraft bullshit to it. And then she gets the Solomon Grundy rhyme out of this audio, clear as fucking day. And I'm like, all I wrote was bullshit. I wrote that uh, zoom and enhancing audio is a thing you can do because it's it's much easier to manipulate that 
than it is to manipulate a video. Like, it's always been bullshit in all those, like, superhero movies or spy movies but or whatever where you zoom and enhance a fucking video clip, especially some garbage recorded on some fucking atrocious, uh, sorry, atrocious uh, CCTV camera. Uh, but when you have an audio file, there's, I'm not going to say that America's wrong. It's a little bullshit how she gets there. But there are things you can do to audio, filters you can apply, EQ you can mismanage, nice. all sorts of things you can do to strip layers from it, add layers to it in order to get something else different out of it. That said, I don't think there's a shot in hell that you could get the fucking half-whispered Solomon Grundy rhyme out of the carnage of the violence that occurred in the audio recording. Over so, like over, over someone yelling and also guns and also fisticuffs. Like it America's not wrong. It is bullshit, but it's plausible bullshit. So I'll allow it. Now you listen here. Oh. I have been on the front lines, not the front lines. I've been in the trenches watching people dissect FNAF and audiophiles and all this bullshit for good how long have I known you? Seven years now. <laughs> and I am telling you right now. How long have I known you? <laughs> there is no fucking way that they got that Solomon Grundy. She oh got that God. clear as fucking day in that audio. Not happening. That's the end of this episode. <laughs>